Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist. With me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Sarah Marsh about her historical novel, A Sign of Her Own. Sarah lives in London. She was shortlisted for the Lucy Cavendish Prize in 2019 and selected for the London Library Emerging Writers Programme in 2020. She was inspired by her experiences of growing up deaf and her family's history of deafness. In this episode, we discuss how her novel was inspired by a part of history that's not very well known, putting a deaf woman at the heart of her novel, and her career-changing prize success. But before we hear that, here's Sarah with an excerpt from A Sign of Her Own. Today's mistake is a jar of peaches. It sits on the parlour table, the halves inside plump with sunshine. Mr Bell, who has unexpectedly come to visit, doesn't seem to notice the jar at first. He stands by the hearth, too agitated by his enthusiasm to be seated. My fiancé, Harmon Bardsley, stands only to match him, but can't keep his words the pace. I leave my careful watch of their lips and look at the jar because of the word I've seen. Surely I'm mistaken. The men aren't even looking at the jar, so why would they be discussing the peaches? Peach, its shape floats on Mr Bell's mouth. The pinch of the pea, followed by a rounded push of the lip, sending the last syllable hard across the tongue. My hand nearly reaches to my pocket, as if the feather from our lessons might still be found there. It's been a long time since I thought of the feather. I would balance it on my knuckles and make it quiver with the puff of my peas. Puh, puh, puh. I stop myself just in time, folding my hand against my skirts. Why has Mr Bell come? For now, Harmon leaves me to my guesses. Mr Bell has arrived in England, and I suppose it is natural to look up old acquaintances. Never mind my surprise that he should still call me one. He's simply here to congratulate us on our engagement. Aren't those his words I see? He stands in the middle of the room with more statesmanship than the last time I saw him, saying marvellous news and marriage is the happiest situation. Adding to his height is a new girl, new I suppose since his own marriage, and I think 
for a moment of Mabel. Does she feed him floating islands every night, beef rather than gravy? But it's not only his girth that shrinks the parlour. His voice, although it's beyond my reach, gives invisible inches to his shoulders. Meanwhile, Harmon, with his thinness of wrist and waist that marriage hasn't yet had the chance to fatten, has lost his usual flow of words. Yes, yes, he says, no, no. I tried to keep my eyes steady on Mr Bell. Distraction won't help me now, although upstairs there's a letter speaking against him that I know I should have burned. Harmon has no idea about the letter, of course, and surely Mr Bell doesn't either. But his next look sends a quiver of alarm right through me. Surely not, I think, as he lowers his chin and his face becomes still with intent. Peach, he says. He would like some peaches. Nay, he needs some peaches. Mr Bell, all the way from America. His name in all the papers. And here he is, asking for my mother's peaches. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to have you on with me today to discuss your debut novel, A Sign of Her Own. Hi. Hi, Chloe. Thank you very much for having me today. It's an honour. Great start to 2024. Sarah, can you start by introducing the novel to us and tell us what A Sign of Her Own is about? Yes, so A Sign of Her Own is about a young deaf woman and the invention of the telephone. Uh, it's set in late 19th century Boston and London. Uh, the central character is Ellen Lark and she receives a visit from her former teacher Alexander Graham Bell who's being challenged over his right to the telephone patent and ask for her help. So it's a reckoning for her with her past, the decisions she has made, the truth about Bell's work with deaf pupils, and she must decide whether to help him or whether to speak out and tell her own story. Mm. Obviously, this is partly based on historical fact, and I wondered where your inspiration began, because I think it's a story that not a lot of people will have heard about. So for you, was it a, a a discovery of that history that inspired this novel? It, yeah, it it really was a, a discovery. Um, I, I mean, I grew up myself deaf. Uh, um, my mother's deaf as well, and she had two deaf sisters, but it wasn't something that we ever discussed. And as an adult, I started learning British Sign Language. Uh, I started learning about deaf history and culture. And reading a lot more about it and it was about 15 years ago now that I came across this story in a book about French and American deaf history that had a chapter on Bell that focused not on his work as an inventor but on his work with deaf pupils um, in particular promoting speech training and oralism over the use of sign language and yeah I, I had I, I didn't know about this and it seemed yeah not not very widely known uh, and I started reading more about his pupils, and it was really in trying to find, in, find out information about them that this story uh, about Ellen, uh, this story about the telephone began to take shape. Mm. And obviously you mentioned Ellen there. She's your uh, the heart of your story. And I read that you were very keen to put a deaf woman right at the centre of this novel. So how did you create Ellen? Was she based on anyone, um, anyone in real life? Yeah, she's a fictional character, and yes, I made the decision quite early on that I wanted this to be a, a perspective on the telephone that really is really told from a, a deaf perspective. 
perspective. Uh, she was based on Bell's pupils, so but there's not a lot of information about his pupils in the historical records, with the exception of his wife Mabel, who is was, was deaf and was one of his pupils, and lots of her letters available on the online archives. I was it was I think it was really really reading his class notebooks though with his pupils and they would be filled with all of his instructions about visible speech, which is this particular method he used. And every now and then there would be these little lines of responses from his pupils, just snippets, and they they really sort of riveted me and I sort of wanted to kind of try and imagine what what that experience was for them as one of his pupils at the time he was inventing the telephone. Mm. So that research must have been so interesting. Um, tell us a little bit more about how you went about the research. Was there things that you had to leave out because you didn't have space for them in the book? How did you decide? Yeah, I mean, there, there were so many, so many things that got left out and so many, yeah, it was a constant juggling, I think, of um, what to put in and what to take out and I think also because you can go down a real rabbit hole with research and you sort of just you know you get really into something that's really fascinating and you really want to include them and it can be quite hard to step back I think and decide decide what what the story doesn't need uh I think there was you know I, there was so much research uh, around the telephone but it was trying to do it in tandem with the story so that the research was shaping the story but the story was sort of, you know, telling me when I needed to do more research as well. So it was that kind of two-way process. Uh, but it was, it was really, for me, I think it was really thinking about the events of the telephone and what Ellen Lark, as my main character, might have had access to. So, you know, was there, might she have been involved or was there, um, you know, something that happened just that maybe nobody had written down because they didn't think it was an important perspective to tell it from. So it was really trying to imagine those kind of gaps in the record where sort of Ellen might sort of step in mm. and be present. I often hear from people who write historical fiction that it's those gaps in history that excite them the most. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, they're, they're very compelling, I think, for writers and for readers as well. Yeah. Mm, definitely. I wanted to ask about the two timelines in the novel because we we watch Ellen grow up and go through this almost discovery or rediscovery of the world now that she's deaf. But we've also got this timeline um, later in life where she's visited by Alexander Graham Bell. Why did you decide to use two timelines and not just one story um, through her life? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, um, it's. I think it's quite a big decision to make, particularly as a, a, as a, you know, writing your first novel as well, because it, it, it's a balancing act to get the two timelines to work together. I, but I think I was really interested in Bell's period in London. So he sort of works on the telephone in Boston, and then a few years later, when the telephone's been invented, he comes to London, and he has a really bad year. Uh, you know, the telephone. Patents are being challenged, they're sort of being difficult to secure. Uh, he's having all sorts of business troubles. And at the end of the year, he takes himself off to Scotland um, to set up a school for deaf children because he says that's his real passion and that's what he wants to do. And he just wants to get about the telephone. And that I was interested 
by the personal journey of Ellen and where and her own reckoning with with Belle and everything she had been told about deafness and um and drawing the parallels I guess between her coming to terms with and deciding how to take control of her story as Belle is kind of grappling with his. Mm. I think one of the most powerful moments in the book for me was Ellen trying to navigate this new world, a world where she couldn't hear. And she suddenly experiences things that she hadn't before. So words disappearing on people's lips because the words don't um, form properly, I suppose. Um, and her struggling to lip read um, and this kind of lack of sound, because first of all, she thinks it's the snow. The snow has dampened the sound of the world um do you hope that readers will come away from this book with a, a better understanding or more empathetic towards people who are deaf yes uh i think i really wanted readers to come away with an appreciation of what um it feels like to be deaf but i i guess but there are so many ways of being deaf and there's lots of different types of deaf experience. And I think Ellen is a particular type. She's post-lingually deaf, having lost her hearing, aged four. But she does encounter other deaf characters in the novel. So I hope some of that variety is, is there. Um, but I think, you know, people so often think of deafness as being a lack or an absence. And I wanted to show a, a deaf character's inner life and that kind of richness of experience. And also the kind of misconceptions that people have about deafness, some of which have changed since the 19th century, some which haven't. And, you know, the, the kind of burden of carrying those that, that Ellen as a character has. I think of, of speaking as someone who's disabled um, and you yourself are deaf, there are there are few books out there, there's few fiction, there's not a lot of fiction out there that's, that deals with the lives of people who are deaf or disabled. And I think sometimes it feels like we have to do everything <laughs> in these in these books because it's it's rare. And it, sometimes it feels like a lot of pressure to cover all bases of what it's like to be deaf, what it's like to be disabled. Whereas actually you can only do so much with one character. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, I really, really agree. You're kind of, you feel like you need to explain <laughs> Um, at the same time, that's not really the job of fiction to mm. explain. It, it's um, more about, yeah, it's more about inhabiting. But you also have to think about the story and where that takes you. And so I definitely really felt that in creating Ellen, that, um, you know, that, that, that those kind of demands uh, and what people might expect of the story and how you explain it as well, because, you know, in, specifically in terms of deafness, it's quite hard to explain what you do understand and what you don't understand, and yet the story needs to move forward. So how do you take readers along with you doing that? I think, um, but I think you know, there are not many books at all with deaf and disabled characters in, and I think the narrative about disability isn't challenged very much as well, so there was so often there's a narrative about, you know, being cured. Mm. Um, or a disabled person existing in isolation in the story as part, you know, to serve the, you know, purposes of the, the non-disabled characters. And I was really interested in trying to create a narrative that might, you know, be about some someone's own journey and sort of taking control of, of their story.
definitely. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, things are improving, I would say, in terms of the publishing industry being wanting that diversity a voice but did you feel where you concerned maybe about this story being accepted by the publishing world or did that did it not matter to you you just wanted to write the story anyway oh I was concerned I did feel that you know I'd heard feedback from other writers about you know writing disabled um characters and you know yeah, I, I did feel concerned. At the same time, I, I think it, it was a story that I just had to write. Mm. Um, I really felt encouraged by, later on in writing the book, there were a couple of deaf authors, Raymond Antrobus, um writing poetry in the UK, and Sarah Novick, uh, writing fiction in the US. I think seeing some of the attention and responses that they received to their work was hugely encouraging for me and really made me feel quite hopeful, I think, about, about the book. Um, and I, there just need to be more stories, more stories with deaf and disabled characters out there. Mm, mm, I totally agree. Um, we've talked about, I guess, some of the research challenges of this novel, but what else was difficult about writing this book? What What was your, what was the hardest part about writing this book? I feel like probably every writer would say this, but finding the time, I mean, it was really, it was really hard. And I think no matter, for so many reasons, it's hard to find the time, you know, other jobs, caring responsibilities, um, 
all sorts of things but it took me a very long time to write it and you know it still amazes me to think that I managed to finish it so that that was definitely the biggest challenge I think the other challenge I guess was trying to get her perspective thinking about the different modes of communication that she had as a deaf person, how you write them in fiction. So she uses a lip reading, speech, uh, sign language, and trying to think about how you capture and convey them. And also writing about sign language in the book as well, because it's a visual spatial language. And so it's, it's very difficult, if not impossible to represent in in prose and fiction. So yeah, that was, that was another challenging area, but, but, I think it gave me a lot of creative energy when I was writing, thinking about how to solve it. Mm. When you talk about time management and fitting it in around your work, were you writing in every scrap of time you had available? Or did you manage to find, you know, a weekend? Or how did you write? I think every scrap of time available and just making sure every day I did something that kept the book in my mind. I think I was so worried about waiting for time to appear and then sitting down and then being like, I can't even remember what the book's about anymore because <laughs> it's been so long. So I think it was, you know, just every day, even if it was just reading a paragraph and making some notes on it or, or something that just meant it was always sort of at the back of my mind for turning away. Uh, and yeah, it, eventually it came together. <laughs> And was this your first attempt to write a novel or had you had you had other guys? Um, I, I think I speak to some authors who this has always been a dream and they've always been working at it. And then others who this is their first time and they wait till they've, you know, they don't they're not writing when they were a child. They're writing when they're much older. But what was it like for you? So the book took me so long. It, was, it took me about 10 years to write it. So in some ways it feels like what I've been doing, but there was a novel before it that I wrote very quickly, kind of on a whim, whether, oh, I'd love to write a novel. And it was a very joyful sort of writing experience, but I think I knew it was never really going to go anywhere. And then I started to think, okay, seriously, what can I write? And um, this story, I came across this story about Alexander Graham Bell. It took me several years actually to kind of get up the courage to write about it and, you know, commit to it. Was your previous attempt a historical novel or something else? Oh, it feels like such a long time ago now. It was, a, <laughs> it was it was contemporary. It was a contemporary fiction. It was a kind of high concept novel that sort of uh, seemed appealing at the time when I wrote, wrote it. I was like, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2019, you were shortlisted for the Lucy Cavendish Prize, um, which is obviously a really uh, prominent and successful prize. And, and there are lots of people who have, one or been shortlisted and then gone on to get an agent and then a book deal. So what pushed you to apply for that prize? And how did that success of being shortlisted change your career? So the Lucy Cavendish Prize was a huge deal for me. It was one of the first prizes I entered and I did it quite last minute. Um, I think I felt that my idea of the book the finished book might be a bit unattainable unless I really started to put it out there and make it feel like it was a real thing that I wanted to get out in the world. And just that act of 
fending it off, I think, felt important to do for that reason. Um, and yeah, it, it was an incredible opportunity for me. I got shortlisted and I met my agent through the prize who was on the panel. And um, and then, you know, we worked together on finishing the book and it got published. So it was still, you know, took me many years after the prize to, to, get, the, to get the book finished and to get to this point. But, you know, it was a huge opportunity and I think Pride is an incredible platform for new writers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always say to people, even if you feel like you're not ready, it's worth applying because you never know what might happen from it. Um, yeah. Doesn't, you don't need to win. You just need to put your work out there and hope that someone likes it and will then contact you. Um, it happens a lot, so... Yeah, I would encourage yeah. people to enter. Obviously, the the process of being published takes a long time. And there are times where you feel this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And then there are times where maybe you feel a bit low or things take forever and you're not sure whether your books just disappeared. Um, we talk a lot about debut being a debut and the ups and downs. So I wondered whether you had any advice for next year's cohort what would you how would you kind of advise them to cope with all the ups and downs of signing a book deal yeah i mean yeah absolutely right i think ups and downs is 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 you know the, the way the way to describe it i think it it can be quite turbulent um i think i think for me i, I think i was you know, I never thought beyond the point of getting a book deal because, you know, that always seemed like such a huge goal to um, to get to in the first place. And then I think, you know, having got one, I realised there's just so much I didn't know. And so, you know, connecting with other other debut authors has been really helpful just because it's, it's a very particular experience, I think. So so I think it, you really need to go through it with other people going through the, the same thing. And it um, that, that's been a big source of support um, and, and yeah and I think really recognizing that there are periods when absolutely nothing seems to happen at all <laughs> and then periods when lots of things happen and it can be quite hard to adjust you know to, to both and you just have to focus on you know what what are the things that just, just keep you going on a, on a daily basis or and also just getting back to the writing I think because you know it takes such a long time that end process of you know the final edit and you know the book being finished and the publicity and you realize it's actually been a very long time since you sat down with a new project or sat down and just wrote and sort of engaged with that really creative side of things so I think finding ways to get back to that and the joy of that um because, you know in small steps and small ways is, is really helpful as well mm, absolutely I keep hearing from authors saying start something new write something else while you're going through it I I just couldn't, so I don't know how well other people do it, but it happens. Um, yeah, I think writing writing for the fun. I mean, I think that you feel like a, a pressure to write the next book, um, but you know, I think it's uh, it's getting back to the whether it's another book or whether it's just just writing. It's getting back to that. I think that that can yeah. it's a good distraction and help helps you remember why 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 you're doing it all. Yeah, absolutely. So finally, Sarah, can you give us a little hint or a, a tease of what you might be working on at the moment? 
I'm not sure I can, to be honest. I am, I am working on something, but it feels very early days. So I sort of am still sort of working out the dimensions of it. But I'm really interested in writing more about deaf experience from different angles. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping to develop develop that. Do you think is it going to be a contemporary novel or historical? Or you're not sure yet. More contemporary. Okay, interesting. Well, I'm really looking Sorry, to end on an end on an ambiguous um, no, no, no. note. I, 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 I think a lot of writers, and I, I am the same, are almost a little bit superstitious about saying too much because sometimes it can kind of kill the idea and it kills the enthusiasm if you talk about it too much when it's in the early phases. So, well, yeah. that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to finding out what it will be in future. Um, but for the for the time being, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, thank you. That was Sarah Marsh talking about her historical novel, A Sign of Her Own, which is out now and available to buy. And if you'd like to support this podcast, debut authors and independent bookshops, you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop, hosted by bookshop.org which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop. And if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.